Well, in my primary school years, I attended a Catholic school that was part of the church that we uh, went to on the, the campus of this church. Uh, in school, I had a favorite room. It was a magical room where really cool things happened. Um, this is where we had smaller school performances. This is where we played bingo. And yes, in the Catholic Church, we play bingo at church. Um, we had concerts in this room. Uh, and uh, best of all, we ate food in this room. Um, if you were to see the room, you wouldn't think it's magical. It was just this large room with gray carpets and matching walls, and there was uh, long windows on one side, and then there were, uh, there were bricks on the other, that, that uh, concrete blocks that made the wall. It had no aesthetic appeal, but it wasn't the actual room itself that made it amazing, is what happened in that room that made it amazing. I, of course, am talking about the fellowship hall. The fellowship hall is where all the cool things happened. And because all these wonderful things happened in the fellowship hall, naturally, I grew up thinking that cool things with other people is what fellowship truly was. Um, and uh, that definition still uh, stuck with me for years until I started reading my Bible and realized that fellowship has little to do with uh, hanging out and just eating food together, uh, nor is it defined as just spending time with people in community, though that's part of it. Rather, biblical fellowship is what our third pillar of the church is. We're looking at the six pillars or purposes of the church, and uh, this is the, the third pillar that we're looking at, and that's encouraging one another through biblical fellowship. Um, part of, uh, of what we do in the church is we realize that, uh, that, uh, that the Christian life is war. And quite often the battles are, are very, very difficult. Uh, every one of us is fighting a, a different yet deadly battle. And um, uh, some uh, people are fighting uh, for faith amidst a, a health crisis. Some of us are, are fighting a battle just trying to keep our heads above water. Some of us are, are fighting the battle of a, a family conflict or relational conflict. Some of us are, are just dealing with the stress and noise of life, and uh, others are, are, are dealing with uh, serious uh, sinful temptations, and some of us may even be stewing on uh, whether or not this Christian thing is really what it, uh, what it um, claims to be. And so when we come together as a church body, we recognize that one of our purposes is to encourage each other, to continue fighting, to go into the battle, to equip each other in that way. So we come here to meet together, we put our arms around each other, we bear one another's burdens, offer a place of comfort and, and respite from a world that wants to destroy us. So my goal for today uh, is first to convince you that one of the pillars or one of the purposes of the church is uh, biblical uh, encouragement and, and biblical fellowship. Uh, we've kind of touched on that already, and so the second way uh, that we're going to do and we're going to spend the rest of our time together is, um, is making and how we can make biblical fellowship and encouragement a priority in our church. What are some ways in which we can do that? 
Uh, the outline here is, um, is taken right from Chuck Lawless's book, Discipled Warriors. However, uh, that's just the outline. I'm filling in everything else. Uh, but uh, I wanted to give you six ways that we can practice biblical encouragement when we meet together in fellowship. The first is that we should support one another. We ought to support one another. When we read the creation account in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we see a phrase that, that continues to be uh, brought up uh, again and again, that when God creates something, he, he looks over it, and then it says, Behold, God saw that it was good. And we see that over and over and over again. And so it's this pattern that when something different comes along, it ought to, it ought to pique our attention. And so in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, there's a phrase that sticks out like a sore thumb. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good. So we've heard all these goods, and wait a minute, here's, here's something that is not good. And what is not good? It is not good that the man should be alone. This is the first negative in Scripture, and it has to do with social isolation. We're not to be isolated from people. Yes, it specifically refers to the creation of marriage, but it does have the grand implication that we're not to go through life alone. We are meant to go through life together, and yet 54% of Americans right now report feeling as though no one knows them well or at least sometimes, if not always. Two in five will also say that they feel that they lack companionship, that their relationships are not meaningful, that they're isolated from others, and that they are no longer close to anyone. 57% of Americans today report eating every meal alone. Most Americans don't know who they could, could turn to other than family, if there was an emergency that happens in their life. Life is very, very hard, and loneliness has really become an epidemic in our society. And God has hardwired us to be in community, and the church ought to be that place where we come together and where we feel comfortable in vulnerability and get support to face the challenges that we're, that we're facing. The early church displayed such a, uh, such a vision. In Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 44, it tells us that all who believed uh, were together and had all things in common. It doesn't mean that they all had shared hobbies and interests. These are individual people that were very, very different from each other. Rather, the context tells us that they made sacrifices to ensure that everybody was, uh, was supported. Look in the following verse. It says that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So the church is meant to be a place where, uh, where we support each other so much so that 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is actualized. That if one member suffers, then all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And perhaps the best way to summarize uh, what the church is to be and to do is found in Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 where it says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ to to bear something is to, to carry a, a heavy object. In this case, it is the, 
the hardships of others. You know, we all have unique burdens. We all have unique um, concerns and struggles. I mean, and it's not necessarily realistic that someone can just take what you're facing just completely away from you and, and put it on them, but they certainly can support you. Uh, and uh, this was uh, perhaps most brilliantly shown in, uh, in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings that near the end of the books, um, Frodo has had this big uh, burden of carrying the, uh, the ring and it is about to do him in. I mean, he's, he's about to die. He has no more energy. They're almost near the finish line. And, uh, and Samwise Gam- Gamgee, who is his very close friend and very faithful friend, uh, says to him, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. And he takes Mr. Frodo and he puts him on his shoulders and he runs up Mount Doom. And, and at the risk of sounding any more nerdy, I'm going to stop right there because you get the point. Uh, it's bearing one another's burdens. We can't necessarily take, uh, take it from them, but we can carry them uh, in that way. And we do that in prayer and in counsel and in love and in care and in physical and, uh, and uh, financial provisions. We are to support each other. But second, we're to build one another up. And we see that in uh, First uh, Thessalonians here in, in just a minute. Um, Folks, am I right in saying that there's no lack of discouragement in this world? Well, thank you. Yes, thank you for that. Um, no doubt that some of us have encouraged discouragement waiting for us in the car as soon as we get out into the parking lot. Some of us have discouragement as, as soon as we walk outside of these, these doors. Uh, it's the norm in this world. Depression, anxiety, and other mental health illnesses and, and disorders have skyrocketed in the, in the last number of years. And folks, there's no, there's no indication that this is going to slow down. It's probably going to even get, get worse. The world offers little or no encouragement or long-lasting hope. So as God's people, we ought to cultivate an environment within the church by which members come to escape the the world and and be encouraged. This this courage uh, means to provide hope and comfort. It literally means to stir up courage from within. And I recognize, though, that for some of us, the church hasn't always been a place of encouragement. Maybe you've been in a situation where you've been burned by a church or two or, or by people as well. Uh, there always seems to be someone who is negative around, and, and I'm deeply sorry if you've been hurt by the church or even hurt by this church. It's not what Jesus created the church for, but I'm so glad that by the grace of God, you keep coming. You keep plugging in. You keep hoping, and as we, we press into remodeling our church, uh, encouragement ought to be part of our DNA. That if people came and, and saw who we are as a church and, and analyzed it in the future and looked back on what we were, it would be great to see that, that encouragement is something that we are known for. C- consider the, the command of Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is in the imperative voice. And I don't know if any of you remember that from English class, but it means it's a command. 
You are commanded to encourage one another and build one another up. To disobey and purposely not encourage people is a sin. And not only encourage, but build up. It's a construction term. Now, um, I've driven by the old high school a number of times this, this last week because, I mean, it's almost gone. And it's, um, okay, I'm a guy. I like seeing things destroyed. You know, as a kid, I loved knocking blocks over and all that kind of stuff. Yes, the high school is sad. There's a lot of memories, but it's really cool to see a demolition. And so as you're driving by it, you're seeing that it's, it's getting torn down and it's just this big pile of, of rubble and daily it's just getting knocked down again and again. Many of us have that experience in our lives. We feel like those big chomper cranes have come by and they just keep knocking out wall after wall after wall and we feel like our lives are sort of like that rubble and all those bricks that are just laying out there, throwing up dust, and that dust will eventually settle. That shouldn't be the way that it is in the church. Rather, every member of the church is either to be brick or mortar, by which God is stacking one on top of the other, so that you and I are building up each other and God's church is being built up so that whenever anything comes and tries to knock us over, we're strong because we are supported by each other. Consider some of the other passages that encourages us to be encouragers. Look in Romans chapter 14 when it says, let us pursue what makes for peace and, and mutual upbuilding. Look at Romans chapter 13 verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every, every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear what if our church was known in the community for how we encourage each other? What if when we told someone that we're attenders or members of Emmanuel, they would say, wow, I've heard some really great things about what's going on and, and how they love each other there. Or what if our church personified John chapter 13 where Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What if that was what characterized our church? What if people were drawn to Christ by how we build each other up? Now, that doesn't mean that we ignore the bad things that, that are going on in our lives or that we push sin uh, under the rug and, and sweep it under the rug and, and, um, and just leave it at that. That doesn't mean that we don't uh, lovingly confront people and friends that are living in unrepentant sin to be restored. Sometimes biblical uh, disciplinary action is a catalyst for deeper fellowship and becoming closer and closer in encouragement in that way. 
We're to love one another and love one another through encouragement, even if things aren't good for us right now. And we're to build each other up. But third, we should encourage each other uh, in love and good works. So not only do we need to be uh, encouraged to simply press on in the Christian life, we need to be encouraged to actually do certain things. Uh, it would be good for us to be known for the acts of love. The letter to the Hebrews is all about encouragement. It encourages us to see Christ as supreme above all things, to see him as, as high and exalted. It encourages us to stay away from sin. It encourages us to practice radical faith. And it encourages us not to neglect meeting together. It encourages us to come to church, to be around God's people, regardless of what's going on in our circumstances. Coming to church and being part of what the, the body of Christ does here is absolutely uh, essential for our lives in Christ. We need to pray for and we need to be prayed for by our brothers and sisters. We need to sing the praises of Christ among each other who are going through various things in life. We, we need to hear God's word preached, and, and we need to be encouraged then to respond to it. That's why Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 tells us that, uh, uh, that not meeting together or deciding to skip church or watch it primarily online is, is out of line. Don't neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another, that's what we are to do. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. I don't know if you've turned on the news lately, but it certainly seems like we need to meet together to encourage, uh, to encourage each other. Because indeed, I can't talk today, indeed, the day seems to be drawing more and more near. That's the imperative, but in the verse right before it, he provides us with some of the reasons why we meet. Look in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's zero in on that term here for just a second where it says stir one another up because it's a really interesting uh, term that the author uses. It is not a positive term. It's only used one other time in the entire New Testament and it is uh, the word that uh, Luke uses to describe the sharp disagreement that Paul and Barnabas have over John Mark, such a sharp disagreement that they both go their, their separate ways. And so when we look at this, how does that fit in? Sometimes it's been translated uh, as spur one another on. Any of us that have uh, ridden a horse before knows what that is. You think about those spurs on the back of the heel that you might kick into the horse in order to irritate the skin to get that horse to go. So why would he use that term? Is this a, a, a disagreement and a conflict and, a, and an irritation supposed to be the catalyst by which we encourage people? And it doesn't appear that that is what the author intended here. But the context leads me to believe that the author is somewhat trying to combat fear and complacency. 
it's really easy to coast in the Christian life. Uh, in our busy society, it's easy to neglect uh, our, our faith, and we need to be stirred up like water in a cistern so that it doesn't go stale. We need to make sure that, it, that it's good. Now, in the early church, when they would uh, meet together weekly, it was a very dangerous thing, as it is for some of our brothers and sisters throughout the world. And so it would be really tempting for them to say, man, I know that some of my brothers and sisters in the Lord are getting robbed and they're getting stolen and they're get, uh, stolen from and they're getting beaten and they're getting arrested. I think it would be better for me just to stay at home and not go to church and avoid any potential problems. And the author is saying, no, 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 no. You need to go and be with your brothers and sisters so that you can face the reality of the persecution that they are facing. And so saying that, um, that they need to spur each other on here or to stir each other up, it is to say that we need to go there so that we can face those things. It is like an iron sharpening iron type thing in our lives. We need that kind of encouragement in our, in our church as well. I love when missionaries come and speak. I hope that you were here when the Johnsons were here a few weeks ago. I love to not only hear about what God is doing on the other side of the world, but also how missionaries have been steadfast in their calling on the field, whether it be at South Dakota State or out in, in Hungary or out in Papua New Guinea or out in the, the Ukraine or wherever it is. We need to come and be here and interact with people like Jeff and Becky. Now, you all are aware that it has not been a good year for Jeff and Becky. But how can you not be encouraged when you talk to them that when their story gets out there, despite the tragedy, they're even more committed to making the greatness and the excellency of Jesus known? Through those hard situations, we get encouraged to face the day. And you have to be here. You've got to rub shoulders with people if you want to know what love looks like and then go do it. Some of the stories that are represented in this room would give even the weakest Christian strength to face the day tomorrow. There are small groups in this church where the bond is so tight that the many tragedies of life has only strengthened their love and their service for each other and for, uh, for the church. There's so much that we can do to spur each other on here, and we need to do that. We need to encourage each other in that way. And fourth, we should maintain unity. We encourage each other by maintaining unity. Now, we throw around that word unity a lot in church circles, but what are we actually saying? Perhaps it's helpful to first start and say what we're not saying. When we're saying uh, we are unified, we are not saying that every single person here ought to be a cookie-cutter version of what it looks like to be a Christian, that we all dress alike, that we all talk alike, that we all have the exact same backgrounds, and that, uh, that we are just sort of this uh, homogenous uh, group of people. Instead, when we're talking about unity of faith and mind, it is a, it is a oneness of our belief. We hold to a, a certain specific set of, of truths that bond us together. We hold to a, a oneness of mission, which is to worship God and to encourage and equip one another and then to go out together into a world to uh, proclaim Jesus 
and make him known. So why is this part of encouraging fellowship? It's because where there is unity in a church, there is peace. And peace is priceless in this world. It's encouraging to come to a place where people are of one heart and of, of one mind. Um, if you've ever been in a church that is disunified, it's a miserable experience. We want to be unified in faith, and it's a misunderstanding to believe that we need to create unity. It's a misunderstanding for me to come to you and say, hey, you know what? Uh, you all need to fix this and get some unity going. That's not what the Bible says. Rather, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, we are encouraged to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What does that mean? It means we already have unity. We have unity in Christ. We have unity in God the Father. We have unity in the Holy Spirit. Then what is our job? To keep it going. To maintain it. Like we would a car. You don't want to take in a car necessarily after the problem has already manifested itself when you could have prevented it. We need to maintain uh, the unity in the bond of peace. The enemy will always try to use those who are bent towards negativity and antagonism to ruin unity. It's why Romans chapter 16 says this, Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Look in Titus chapter 3 verse 10. Uh, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him. Does that sound harsh? It does, doesn't it? But that's what Scripture calls us to do. Unity is that important because there's so much at stake and much encouragement happens when we can employ 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he says, I appeal to you, brothers, in, uh, by the name of our Lord Jesus, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be unified in the same mind and in the same judgment. So we need to be encouraging peace by maintaining unity. Number five, and there's one more after this. Forgive each other and pursue reconciliation. Whenever more than one person gets together for a while, there's bound to be conflict. Whether it's just a couple or whether it is a family or a group, conflict is inevitable. We're, we're, we're sinful people. It just happens. Um, and then there's hurts. And I would venture to say that unless a church is only a week old, there's probably unique individual hurts that are in every single church that have either happened at the hands of other members or the church organization as a whole. Many people leave the church over, leave either the church completely or just leave a church over the hurts that they have experienced. And some of those hurts are very real. And some of those hurts are very, very deep. 
But that does not negate the call for us in the body of Christ to forgive. If you were born here in Minnesota, chances are you have an aversion to conflict. Right? Nobody wants to get up in the morning and say, golly, I wonder who I can have a conflict with today. Who can I get into an argument with? I am ready for this. That's just not how we are built as Scandinavians. And so we, can, we avoid confronting and dealing with issues like the plague. Uh, for whatever reason, we tend to keep uh, appearances up and, uh, and sweep problems under the rug. And when we do, it's sort of like continuing to pour things in a, in a glass. And sooner or later, the glass is going to flow over and you're going to have a way bigger mess than you ever would have had if you had dealt with it in the first place. Unforgiveness can paralyze and destroy churches. Churches that have a culture of working through disagreements and hurts biblically, however, are churches that flourish. I know it's easy to say and it's very hard to do, but these are mandates in Scripture. Look in Colossians chapter 3. Put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, there's already three adjectives of what you are if you are in Christ. You are God's chosen ones, you're holy and you're beloved. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. There's that term again. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Did you notice the big word there? He didn't say, it is suggested for you to forgive. The word there is must. It's not optional, it's a command. But here's the thing, sometimes it's a process. It's not realistic to think that forgiveness can happen immediately on things. Oftentimes, counseling needs to happen. Oftentimes, months or years may need to go by until we have worked through the hurt that has happened. But we have to work toward it. God takes forgiveness seriously. Look at what uh, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. For if you forgive others their trespasses... This is an if-then clause. If you forgive others their trespasses, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, then neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, don't misunderstand Jesus here. He's not saying that your salvation is dependent on whether or not you forgive other people. It's not as if we are saved uh, because of that, but rather... The extent to which we work toward forgiveness is the extent to which we truly understand the grievous hurts toward God. If we are living with hearts that refuse to work toward forgiveness, notice I didn't say that refuse to forgive, but work toward forgiveness shows that you feel that you have nothing to be forgiven of by God. And it also shows that you think you're more moral than God. 
If he can forgive you, but you can't forgive that person in the church or, or wherever, then you are saying that you have a better understanding of this and sin than God himself does, and that you have a better moral compass. But we know that's not true. So if you have an unfor unforgiveness in your heart towards someone, there's... Uh, or if there's a reason that you need to seek forgiveness from someone in the church. Notice what, what uh, Jesus also said in the Sermon on the Mount. If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother and sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. I, mean, I, I, I take this to mean that, that God is so serious about us being of one heart, one mind, and being reconciled to each other and loving each other in that sort of way that, um, that if you need to seek forgiveness for someone, if you are the offender, not only is your worship hindered if you haven't gone to them in true repentance, but also it seems as if you should consider not taking the Lord's Supper Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. If someone has something against you, go to them. Make it right. I know that's kind of a downer to talk about, but we need to look on the other side of this. For a church to dwell in forgiveness is a church to dwell in peace and in freedom. A church and its members that pursues forgiveness and reconciliation is a church that believes and pursues the gospel. It is that kind of church that is encouraging. It is that kind of church that is otherworldly. It is that kind of church that is beginning to see the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. So we need to pursue forgiveness. And six, we need to, six and finally, by the way, uh, we need to get outside the church walls. We encourage by getting out of the church walls. Uh, part of being part of the church is uh, being part um, of a church that does not exist for themselves. Our church is not a country club. This is no place where you pay your membership dues and, and you get benefits. Friends, this is a barracks for war. This is a place where we come uh, together to get out of the battle for a few minutes, get the battle plan, Rest up and head right back out there. And in this war, we seek to rescue people from our enemy. In this war, we go straight into the fire and convince people that they're burning and get them out of there. To do that, we have to be a church that gets out of our walls. What we do here on Sundays when we gather together like we're doing right now, the purpose of what we are doing is not evangelism. We are here as brothers and sisters to be uh, encouraged. It's training for worship and battle. And when we leave from here, 
we go into evangelism. We're going to get more into detail in this when we get to our sixth, fifth or sixth uh, pillar here in a few weeks. But for now, we have to realize that part of the mission of God is to be encouraged by seeing people hear the word of Christ. Look in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, where he says, um, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore into all the world um, and making disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Most of us here are not going to go out into all the world, but you know what? The world is all around us. The minute you walk out these doors, you're going to be facing a world that needs Jesus. And it's encouraging when we hear stories of people going out, sharing the gospel, and then people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. There is nothing more encouraging to the saints um, that are here than seeing new people come in and be part of the family. As a pastor, my best days are those days that we get to baptize people bring them under the water, showing uh, unity in the death of Christ and being risen up to the newness of life. Nothing is better than that. Ministry is hard. Ministry is a struggle. We hear and deal with a, a lot of stuff. But man, when we bring those people up out of the water, it makes it all worth it. It is encouraging to do that. To get out of the church walls and to pursue the gospel in community is an amazing work. So one way that we encourage each other is by welcoming others into the community of Christ. You know, I look back fondly at that fellowship hall of my youth. A lot of cool stuff happened in that room. But as I have grown in Christ, I love biblical fellowship more. I love this room. I love when we get together and we worship the Lord. We're going to eat here in a minute, which is going to be awesome. But it's even better to come here to encourage one another through support, through building each other up, promoting good works, maintaining unity together, uh, forgiving one another, and reaching out to the lost. Friends, Encouraging one another is one of the reasons why we exist. So what are you going to do to be part of God's plan for the church by encouraging one another? Let's pray.